You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. choose that most popular person. He doesn't always choose the most intelligent. Look who's before you. He doesn't always choose the smartest guy, all right? He doesn't always choose the most qualified. He doesn't always choose the oldest. He always always choose the most talented. God is sovereign. God chooses whom he chooses. And it's God's choice we recognize. And when you come against God's choice, you're not coming against the person God chose. You're coming against God. God's choices sometimes leave us scratching our heads. We wonder why God would ever choose that guy for a special purpose. Pastor Dave says God doesn't always choose the perfect person, and that is great news for us. That means that God can choose you or me for whatever purpose he wants. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Kings chapter 2 as he begins his message, Settling All Family Business. We are going to continue our study in 1 Kings, and we are continuing in chapter 2. So if you will turn to 1 Kings chapter 2, beginning in verse 13 is where we'll be. 1 Kings chapter 2. David has died. He went to be with his fathers, and he was buried in the city that bears his name, the city of David. Now, I don't know about you, but I was always under the impression that the city of David was Jerusalem. I was always under that impression. See, yes and no. It is Jerusalem, but the city of David that we're talking about here is south of the old city. And it's kind of like in a separate place that they're now discovering. They're uncovering ruins even as we speak. And they're excavating more and more ruins. And we have now the true city of David. It's south of the temple. It's not really outside of the Jerusalem walls as such. But it's in the West Bank. It's in the West Bank, which is controlled by the Palestinians. But in the city of David, there are several things of note. One of them we've studied about. The Pool of Siloam is in the city of David. You remember the Pool of Siloam where the, the, they used to go and they filled up the jugs every during the, the feast, remember? And when Jesus stood up in the temple floors and said, whoever thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He talked about the Holy Spirit, remember? And another interesting thing that is in the city of David that was built by Hezekiah King is Hezekiah's Tunnel. And it goes for a long, long way through the city of David. In fact, it starts in one end, and it ends at the Pool of Siloam. And it was a way that they got water into the city. And it's been there for over two or 3,000 years. It's been there. And it's really cool. You can go through Hezekiah's tunnel, but one part of it, you have to walk in water that's about this deep. And it's a very, very narrow tunnel. So when we all walk down this pathway into the tunnel 
of Hezekiah, we got down there and there was all these writings and we, we read all these things. It was really cool. Then there was two ways to go. It was the chicken way or the other way, which went down into the water. And it was very, very tight. It was dark. And you went through Hezekiah's tunnel. But we had a shortcut around the pass. And we didn't get quite as wet because we only had to go through water that was about this deep. And we went through the shortcut way. But uh, Hezekiah's tunnel, it's right there. It's pretty cool, though. But you can look at Hezekiah's tunnel in 2 Kings 20. We'll talk about it when when we get to that Hezekiah's tunnel. And it's about 12 acres south of, it's about 12 acres south of the Temple Mount itself. And it's really cool to see. And and so it was an eye-opener to me because I thought Jerusalem was the city of David. But if you remember, in 2 Kings 5, verses 6 and 7, David took that city away from the Jebusites. He, he, He conquered that city, and he gave it his name, the city of David. It did turn into Jerusalem, yes, but it's not the same thing as we would think. But David reigned for 40 years. He had reigned for 40 years, and now his son Solomon was seated on the throne of Israel. But before David died, you remember last week, he instructed his son to be strong and prove himself a man. Well, how was he going to do that? By keeping the charge of the Lord, by walking in the Lord's ways, by keeping the Lord's statutes, by keeping the Lord's commandments, by keeping the Lord's judgments and the Lord's testimonies. David was encouraging his young son. Remember, we said that Solomon now is probably only about 16 years old. And he's now the king of all of Israel, and he has a lot on his shoulders. And, and, and David says, you need to follow the Lord. And David knew all too well the ramifications of not following the Lord. He knew all too well of the consequences that came when you sin. And we talked at, large, at length about that when we studied those things in 2 Samuel. But David was telling his son, if you do these things, David, if you do these things, not only will you prosper, but Israel will prosper also. It was a very important that David give his advice. And he's on his deathbed, and he's now giving this advice to his, his son Solomon, who's going to take over the throne. But David was worried about the kingdom also. He knew that there were still others who desired to be the ruler. And he was worried that when he went to be with his fathers, those who were desiring power would once again rise up against his son, his 16-year-old son, and try to take the throne by force. David was worried about that. So as we studied last week, in the last words of David, to Solomon, he basically said, make sure you settle all the family business. Make sure before you do anything, you settle all the family business. So Solomon is now firmly established as king of Israel. He is on the throne. He is firmly established, and now he moves into his first days without his father. Remember also that there for a while, they were like co-regents. David was still alive, but Solomon was king, and David was kind of like his consigliere. He gave him all the advice and gave gave him all the things that he needed to know. But now David was gone. Solomon is now by himself. Solomon is on the throne all by himself, but David had laid out for him an agenda. This is what you're going to accomplish. You must deal with Abiathar. 
who was the priest at that time. You have to deal with Joab, the commander of the army, and you have to deal with that rascal Shammai. Oh yeah, while you're at it, Solomon, you need to build a temple. You need to build a house for a Lord. Not a lot to do for a 16-year-old kid, you know. I mean, this was huge. This was a huge task. So Solomon has an agenda that he has to take care of, but even before he gets to this agenda, even before he gets to the first part of this agenda, his half-brother, Adonijah, you remember him, rears his ugly head one more time, and he's about to lose it. His head, that is. Let's read um, 13 through 25. Now, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. So she said, do you come peacefully? And he said, peacefully. That's good for her to ask, because remember, this guy, if he had been king, probably would have killed her and Solomon. So it's a pretty, pretty logical question. Are you here peaceably, or do I have to pick up this urn and knock you in the head? You know, she don't have to know what was happening here. Moreover, he said, I have something to say to you. She said, say it. And then he said, you know that the kingdom was mine, and all Israel had set their expectations on me that I should reign. However, the kingdom has been turned over and has become my brother's, for it was, from, it was his from the Lord. Now that's an interesting statement. He said, you know the kingdom was mine. It was given to me. I had control, but it was turned over to my brother because it was from the Lord. Well, if that be the case, it was never his to begin with. If it was the Lord's, it was never his to give. See, the kingdom was the Lord's to give. It wasn't his to take. It was the Lord's to give. He said, now I ask one petition of you. Do not deny me. And she said, say it. Then he said, please speak to the king Solomon, for he will not refuse you that he may give me Abishag, the Shunammite, as wife. So Bathsheba said, very well, I will speak to you, the king. Now remember, Abishag the Shunammite was that lovely young virgin that they basically gave to David who became his concubine and who served him. But they didn't have relations, according to what we read in the scripture. But she served him in his old age. So Bathsheba said, very well, I will speak to you for, the king, for you to the king. Bathsheba went, therefore, to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed down to her and sat down on his throne and had a throne set for the king's mother. So she sat at his right hand. Then she said, I desire one small petition of you. Do not refuse me. And the king said to her, ask it, my mother, for I will not refuse you. So she said, let Abishag, the Shunammite, be given to Adjaniah, your brother, as wife. And King Solomon answered her, answered and said to his mother, Now why do you ask Abishag, the Shunammite, for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also? For he is my older brother, for him, and for Abathar the priest, and for Joab, the son of Zurah. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, May God do so to me, and more also, if Adonijah has not spoken this word against his own life. Now, therefore, as the Lord lives, who has confirmed me and sat me on the throne of David, my father, and who has established a house for me, as promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. So Solomon, so King Solomon sent by the hand of Beniah, the son of Jedoiada, and he struck him down and died. So here's Adonijah trying to make an end run. He's trying to make an end run. He wants Abishag for his wife. Why? He knew that possessing one of the king's concubine 
he would be king. In ancient days, when a king came in and overtook an army, he took all the harem for himself. Remember Absalom on the roof of the palace? And went in and he took all of David's concubines, proving that he was king? So, Adonijah is trying to make an end run. He's trying to come in there. He, went, he said, I'm going to use Bathsheba to do my dirty work. I'm going to get, because Solomon won't refuse her. He's trying to play a trick on them. He's trying to come in from the inside. And I got to stop here. I love this part. I love this part right here. I really do. It kind of touches my heart. In verse 10, Bathsheba therefore went to King Solomon to speak to him about Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed down to her and sat down on his throne, and had a throne set for the king's mother, so that she sat at his right hand. I love that. Why do I love that? Kings don't bow to anybody. Kings don't bow. You bow before a king. You bow before a king, and here Solomon sees his dear old mum, and he bows to her. I love that. Honor your mother and father. Yeah, that's beautiful. I just, I just, I, I love that. I just think that is so cool that he bowed down to his mom and he gave her a little seat on his right hand. I like that. I thought that was pretty cool. So he listens to mom's request. He hears mom's request. He's not a dummy. He knows what's going on. He knows exactly what's happening. So he immediately suspects Adonijah of wrongdoing and he calls him on it. Shall he ask for the kingdom also? If he wants the wife of David, he might as well have the kingdom. Next thing he'll be asking for you. And this was all Solomon needed to hear. This was all Solomon needed to hear. This confirmed his father's words. This confirmed that Adonijah still had designs on the throne, and he wanted to take it from Solomon. Adonijah didn't know that he was sealing his own death warrant. He was signing his own death warrant. And again, it's interesting to me that in 2.15, Adonijah knew that the Lord had given Solomon the throne. He knew it was the Lord, but he still attempts his coup. It's just like his brother Absalom. He thought he should be king. Why? Because he was popular. He was good looking. And the people cheered him on and they followed him. So why not? He should be king. Absolutely. I thought about this a while, and the Lord gave me a few things that I want to talk about. God does not always choose the most popular person to do his will. God does not always choose that most popular person. He doesn't always choose the most intelligent. Look who's before you. He doesn't always choose the smartest guy, all right? He doesn't always choose the most qualified. He doesn't always choose the oldest. He always always chooses the most talented. God is sovereign. God chooses whom he chooses. And it's God's choice we recognize. And when you come against God's choice, you're not coming against the person God chose. You're coming against God. You're coming against God himself. When you rebel against God's choice, you rebel against God. Adonijah thought that because he was David's eldest son and he was good looking and most popular, he should be king. But it was not God's choice. Look back through the Bible. Look back through the Bible and see the people that were passed by. See the people that were passed by. I mean, Jacob became the favorite instead of Esau when he kind of stole the birthright and stole the blessing. But God chose him, didn't he? And then it says, Jacob, I love. Esau, I hate it. Oh, but he hated what he stood for. How about Joseph? Joseph was 11th in line. He was the 11th son. 
of, of Jacob. He was the 11th son of Jacob, the first son of Rachel. Then there was David himself. David was number eight in line. Remember, they all marched him out. Bring out this guy. Surely this is one. No. How about this guy? He's good looking. He's tall. No. And he went down the line. Don't you have somebody else? Yeah, we got a little runt out back working with the sheep. Bring him out. That was the one. That was the one. And, and Paul, Paul says something about this in 1 Corinthians 1. In 1 Corinthians 1, verses 27 and, and, and to 29, I want to read this to you as, as we move on here. And it's, a, it's pretty interesting here that we know, and you know the verse, I'm sure, if, if you knew the verse, that it says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. God wants the credit. You know, we think, we see some movie star or some great athlete get saved. Now, I think it's wonderful when movie stars and great athletes get saved. I think it's wonderful when anybody gets saved. But as soon as we see a great athlete or a movie star get saved, we got to put them in front of 8,000 people and say, speak. You know, we think it's all, we think it's the big draw. Well, maybe God's not going to use that person. He can. But see, God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, to make the wise think, wait a minute. Didn't you used to, what, what? It confounds them. It confuses them when we speak God's word. We naturally think of somebody, look how smart they are. Look what a great biblical scholar they are. Certainly they would be good at this or they would be good at that. Lord loves to use the foolish things to turn the world on its end. Lord loves to use that which is nothing and make it something. He loves to choose those who are unoppressive. No one who would think, you? Oh my gosh. So that people will look to God for their strength and not man. Look at the disciples. What a bunch of misfits. <laughs> I mean, think of the disciples. What a bunch of misfits. I mean, they were, they, you know, they, they were bumbling idiots until after the resurrection and the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And once they were empowered by the Holy Spirit, what did they do? What does the scripture say? They turned the world upside down. Because the Holy Spirit had fallen upon them and, and they had power. God uses those who look like they don't amount to much. Ordinary people, God takes and he turns them into extraordinary people. That's what God does if you have a willing heart and you're submitted to him and you allow the Holy Spirit to use you. God is looking for a person who refuses to seek the applause of men. He wants total submission to him and he uses the one who has no ambition for himself. Why? So he gets the glory. He gets the glory. He gets the glory. God chooses whom he chooses. He's sovereign. And he will choose whom he chooses. Has compassion on whom he has compassion. Has mercy on whom he has mercy. So Solomon sends his new hatchet man, Beniah, and he kills Adonijah. And it ends a sad history in the nation of Israel. It ends a sad history. And I'm not sure which commentator I read said this, but this touched my heart too. Quote, 
David was not around to feel the pain of another son's loss, but the execution of Adonijah was the final payment of the fourfold debt David incurred. Turn back to 2 Samuel 12. 2 Samuel 12 is after David had his affair with Bathsheba, after Uriah, the husband, her husband, was killed. After all that took place, David wanted to build God a house, remember? And Nathan said, go ahead and do it. And then that night, the Lord came to Nathan and said, no, you got to go tell David some things. Remember the story that, that he was told about the lamb? Remember that story? What, look, what, look what he says in, in verse 5. Look what he says in verse 5. In 2 Samuel, he's telling David this story. And when David tells, when he tells David this story, David gets so mad. In verse 5, he said, So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man and said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, this man is done. He shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb. There it is. Fourfold for the lamb. What this commentator was saying is that the baby died. Ammon died. Absalom died, and Adonijah died fourfold. David was going against the man who hurt the lamb and wanted a fourfold repentance, but it was God that took out a fourfold consequence on David. Very sad. Very, very sad. It's extremely sad how sin can destroy a family. How sin can destroy a family. So with Adonijah now out of the way, and it's interesting that Adonijah wasn't one of the ones that um, uh, David warned Solomon about. We read through that, that list last week, and, and David never warned Solomon about Adonijah. Why do you think that? Because it was his son. He wasn't going to pass a murder sentence on his son. Remember how David doted over his kids, how he spoiled them rotten? He wasn't going to pass a murder sentence on Adonijah. So he didn't say anything about that. So now David turns his eyes to Abiathar, to Abiathar the priest, and to Joab. Let's read 26 and 27. And to Abiathar the priest, the king said, Go to Anathoth, to your own fields, for you are deserving death. But I will not put you to death at this time, because you carried the ark of the Lord before God, my father David. And because you were afflicted, every time my father was afflicted. So Solomon removed Abiathar from being a priest to the Lord, that he might fulfill the word of the Lord, which was spoke concerning the house of Eli at Shiloh. At Shiloh. So he basically defrocks Abiathar. He sends him away. He puts him in exile. He says, you're deserving death, but I'm not going to kill you right now. But don't think I won't. And he kind of hangs that over, over Abiathar's head. I'm not going to kill you right now, but don't cross me. Don't look at me cross-eyed. You might get it. He, he was in defiance against the will of God. He came against David wanting Adonijah to be king. He came against David, but Solomon showed mercy and grace to him. Mercy was shown in sparing his life because of his past standing as chief priest and his support of his father David. And he showed wisdom when he said, you should be executed, but I'm going to let you live for now. So keep looking over your shoulder. It says that it might be fulfilled at the word of the Lord, which he spoke concerning the house of Eli. You are assured. You've been learning from the book of 1 Kings with Pastor Dave Shank on A Sure Hope. Have you ever found yourself in a place like King Solomon where the temptations of the world really had a grip on you? 
With all the gimmicks of the world, it's not surprising. It's also not surprising that you're not the only one. Many struggle with the temptation of letting worldly things lead them, rather than let the things of the Lord lead. But there is hope. Just as Solomon came to recognize that all his women, wealth, and wisdom wasn't what really mattered, you too can learn that things of the world are deceiving. So rather than put your hope and faith in the things that pass away, put your hope and faith in the one who's everlasting. God is constant, he is faithful, and he will never pass away. If you missed any part of today's teachings or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com. Perhaps as you are listening, you realize that you have some questions about faith and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at AssureHopeRadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on A Sure Hope.